This is The 451. I'm Summer Brennan. I'm Jesse Hirsch. And I'm Jonathan Mann. And we are a podcast for the resistance. <laughs> we are recording on New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. Yep. Happy New Year. Goodbye, 2016. See you later. It's been real. It's been, well, it's almost been unreal, sort it's of. It's been unreal. It's been surreal. <laughs> Wasn't that the, the word of the year? Yeah, surreal. From Merriam-Webster? I feel like they cheated, because I know the word was fascism, and they were tweeting. <laughs> yeah, did it, be, did, it, did it beat out fascism yeah. <laughs> in the clutch? I don't know. I don't know. Was the election of that word rigged? No. Um, yeah, I, apparently they chose surreal instead of fascism. So that's that's the dictionary trying to help us out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was looking out for us, that dictionary. Good. Thanks, Dick. Thank dictionary. <laughs> Thanks, I Dick. I don't, I don't know, Jonathan. <laughs> I don't know how that went. That did not go well. <laughs> Thanks, Dick. 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 Anyway, so we're we're all doing real great. Um, a lot of a lot of talk about 2016 being this year that was just so filled with misery and tragedy and and yeah. how great it'll be for it to be done. Yeah, yeah. which is does, does that seem confusing to you does. at all? Confuses me. It, it does. It does. Because... Like 2017 is going to be a, a walk in the meadow. Now, I mean, let's just hang out and sip on tea. <sighs> yeah, I really worry that this time next year we're going to be like, man, 2016 was was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Love, love that year. That's I've said my, that too. That's my fear. I mean, I hope that that's not the case. I would love for 2017 to be a year that like amazing things happen yeah. that are good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not amazing and terrible. Yeah. And and it's possible. And 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 we we like we keep saying we we hold out that hope. That's why we're here. That's why we're here is to hold yes, out the hope because we are all in some capacity. Somebody drinking tea. <laughs> yeah, am I loud? I'm loudly sipping on my little yeah, tea. Yeah, so no, just go ahead, slurp on your tea. Um, we're in the driver's seat. 2017 doesn't have to be a thing that just happens to us as True. we sit passively. We can do what we can to steer its course to a degree, obviously. Yeah. Um, I keep Googling like musicians that are older to be like, please, yeah. are you okay? Stick around. Um, yeah, yeah. But, we still but, we still got Bob Dylan, who's a big one of mine. And... It's hard. Yeah, we it's been it was a hard week. We lost some more people. I was sad about um, Carrie Fisher, uh, General Leia. You know, General so. Leia Organa. May the force be with her. Speaking of the resistance, what are you guys? What's giving you guys fuel this week? What's worrying you? What's the latest? <sighs> uh, okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The one thing that I saw this week, Paul Ryan and uh, Rubio were both coming out and praising Obama's sanctions on Russia. Uh, it kind of seemed like these are guys who have a good sense of the way the winds are blowing, right? right. That they're not they're not super right. committed. They're not super committed to some sort of ideals, right? I've heard that. I don't know them personally, but that I don't know them personally, sense. right? But, but, but that's that's my that's my general feeling, and and so that so that when. They when they come out in a position that's so clearly directly in opposition to Trump's pinned tweet, it makes me think: Are is this the way potentially the Republicans might start to move? Like that's the way the wind is blowing. That's the way the wind is blowing. Exactly. Yeah. Well, my thing that was hopeful is also related to uh, some Republican action today. Senator McCain is in Ukraine. McCain's in Ukraine with uh, Lindsey Graham and also with uh, Amy Klobuchar, the senator from 
Oh dear, Minnesota. Is that right? Right. Yep. Yeah. Minnesota. Um, and they are right now on a bipartisan mission to the Baltic states and also, I guess, some Eastern European uh, countries um, to talk about security and our alliance and NATO. And that makes me feel like there are adults around <laughs> yeah. who are aware of, you know, the dangers of dismantling NATO and, and why it might be a bad idea to ally with Russia under its current leadership and all that. Absolutely. That whole tour seems so sane. It seems so yes. th- the way international diplomacy is supposed to play itself right. out. Right. People with experience going to talk to other people with experience and doing the whole, yeah, there's been, they've been lighting menorahs and giving medals to troops and having dinner with, you know, with troops in the countries where they're visiting. And it just seems, um, I mean, it's funny for me to be talking about feeling happy about military measures because I'm, <laughs> no, because like I'm an anti-violent yeah, person. Yeah, I work for yeah. the United Nations. Like I'm I, a pacifist, like, you know, personally. So, it, totally. but, but security and international security is a reality that we have to pay attention to and ignoring it won't ignoring that the reality of international security won't keep us safe or other people safe. So I'm glad that people are paying attention to that. So that is my hopeful thing this week. I like it. Um, I'm going to go in a completely different direction. Um, because we, uh, my wife and I are expecting our second child in early April and I've finally um started to thank you so i finally started to um it's my job to come up with names i named our our son jupiter basically the way it works is i come up with a big big old list and then i bring that list to her like hundreds of names and she calls it down to like 20 or so um and we we try to whittle it down so uh my, i've started my list and i'm just going to read you some of the names um now the, the, this is awesome. this is what's making me hopeful um uh, so, so yeah, my son's name is Jupiter, so we're trying to stick in that, in that zone. Um, Nova, Apollo, Comet, Celestial, Eclipse, Equinox, Galaxy, Metroid, which is a video game, but, um, <laughs> ra- Radiant, Solstice, and Zenith, and then one non-space-related name, which is Myriad, Myriad. Which I we're, I really like Myriad, but anyway, the, the, are the is that the called down list of names? No, no, no. This is just sort of like my. This is this is just the beginning. I don't think Metroid's gonna make no, it. No, yeah, final yeah. cuts. <laughs> just my gut. I mean, it's original. Um, okay, I'm sure your child would love this. Yeah. <laughs> I just love this story. Yeah, my cool parents. Yeah, I know. So anyway, I gotta say, even being named Summer is kind of a oh, yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah. But it's being, I mean, it is being more accepted as a real. Is, say is, a real name. Summer doesn't feel super California to me. Does it? Do you get flack for? It? I mean, I get flack all the time because people are like, "Oh, you're like they don't take me seriously because of my name." But I think it's more about me being a woman than about me being named Summer. Yeah. Um, there's a whole movie about a girl named Summer, a woman named Summer. You know. So come on. I'll tell you, I grew up on the West Coast, and my childhood friends were named Rainbow and Blueberry. (laughs) And they were treated just like normal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, growing up on the West Coast. Speaking about the name of your your unborn child, I mean, it's... (laughs) No, it's it's not in the name, but just thinking about that stuff is... It is so important to ground oneself in the regular... Not that having a baby is a thing that happens every day, but I mean, you know, the, the normal human things that happen to us. Yeah, totally. And, and and that's something that I find 
I'm forced when I'm feeling really bad, like I'm forced in a lot of ways out of it by my, you know, my son coming up and, and, and distracting me and doing his, all his the adorable things that he does. So like, it's really important to keep track of those things right now. It's yeah, it's more important than ever. Yes. Uh, speaking of kind of hopeful things, I wanted to ask you something, Jonathan. Um, so I know that you are a Bernie supporter. Yes. I'm not seeing as much of what Bernie's doing on his Twitter account, but I think you mentioned that he there is stuff he's doing that maybe isn't showing up there as much. So what is he doing right now? Yeah. So I've seen a lot of people, including your tweets about, you know, <laughs> about, about about where is Bernie? Where is Bernie on the Russia thing? Like right. something you said, Summer, I think in the first episode is like, or maybe it was the last episode, like, you know, everyone has a different role to play, right? This is very true. And Bernie, you know, he's calling for right now, you know, rather than calling for rallies specifically against Trump or against any kind of uh, outside interference in our elections or things like that, he's calling for massive rallies because Congress is signaling that the first thing they're going to do is, is repeal Obamacare and not have anything in place for the whatever the 30 million people that are going to lose their health care. So right. his... The thing that he's sending out right now in all his emails is come to these huge rallies that we're going to do all across the country to show pe- to show Congress that we're serious about um, them not taking away our health care. That's that's sort of like his seems to be his first big sort of salvo. Somewhere somewhere I know you're you're more critical. I, I'm curious. No, what, I mean it's what, just like I'm so ready for for Bernie to be involved in what's happening. Like the base that he worked to mobilize was so passionate and so involved and so excited that they wanted revolution. It, it feels a little wasted to me right now. And and I maybe you know I'm not getting emails from him. So yeah, yeah, I was thinking that too. I didn't. I actually didn't know about those rallies you were talking mm-hmm. about. And I've seen some like news stories about it. And maybe it's just a question of I'm right now my primary point of communication with with elected officials other than when I call their offices <laughs> is through Twitter and his tweets feel like scheduled mm-hmm. tweets to me right now. Right. Well they and, and and I saw that and it's like I think they are to yeah. a certain extent because he doesn't use Twitter. He's he's not, you know, aside from there's been a few times when he was like live tweeting um Republican debates, which were hilarious. But like <laughs> but but uh but for the most part, no, I, I do think he Twitter for him and again, uh I do. I disagree with this strategy. I don't think it's the best strategy, but but it's the strategy that he has, which is you know, Twitter is a place to say these short, pithy statements about what he believes, um, and it's not a place to actually comment on. But it's like, I mean, so much of his base was millennials, right? Yeah. I mean, and that's that's where a lot of them are. And every time he tweets anything, it it, it within five minutes, it's got more than a thousand likes and retweets. Yeah. And it's like that's a source of power that he has, and if he's not using it. It just seems, I mean, you know. And I, and I guess I guess from our perspective, it's it's a very different sort of approach. I mean, there are so many things that are on the chopping block, right? So many different so progressive many. programs that we're going to see lost. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, I mean, I, I'm, I don't want to speak for all three of us, but <laughs> it feels like it feels like the, the most the most pressing urgent concern is just that this man shouldn't actually be president at all. Right. Yeah. Um, there, <laughs> there's that. <laughs> there right. That. Um, yeah. It's it's still I think something that we're wrapping our heads around just like really this man with this many conflicts of interest and <sighs> okay yeah it still feels like a a, a a a countdown clock just like twenty more days and it's like yeah I, I described yeah. it as like the the tick 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 ticking when you're going up the first hill on a roller coaster yeah is you really don't totally yeah. know what you're in for and you can kind right. of see the track oh, ahead of you you know yeah that's really good because the tick 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 it feels yeah, like it that does too. yeah. 
Yeah. Totally. Should we talk about the things that are worrying us this week? We probably should have started with that and then gone to like the good stuff, but oh well for next time. It's hard to choose which thing was worrying me most this week. Um, I was very concerned about the talk of nuclear weapons. Yeah. <laughs> and the casual way Trump refers to them and Putin saying you know his stuff about it and the, the let there be an arms race thing. And honestly, Ugh. trying to talk about it, I kind of become inarticulate with just like this emotion I can't really express. Yeah. That's what's, I think, worrying me the most right now, that how lightly people are taking these very serious weapons. And there's a an article I think we should link to that's sort of a read-at-your-own-peril um, by Eric Schlosser in The New Yorker about the state of our nuclear arsenal. And it's a concerning read. Um, it's, a, also, it's, a, yeah. it's a very, yeah. very, very concerning read. <laughs> right. I finally, re- I finally oh, read did? it. Oh, you did? Yeah, no, it, it's no treat. No, but I think it's it's important for a number of reasons because it gives you a realistic picture. You know, I think people think of nuclear power as this abstract concept and there's deterrence. and But to know the concrete nature of it, that there are a specific number of weapons that do specific things that launch from specific places that will kill this number of people. Yeah, they're real. They're, they're real things that, yeah. that really exist that are that are terribly, terribly dangerous. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 and one of the most terrifying parts about that article is just how vulnerable they are as well. Yeah. I mean, there's rumors going around among people in the field that I used to have in terms of like disarmament, international security that were possibly under threat from some kind of a cyber weapon related to our nuclear weapons. I mean, another point, though, that was good is that to be the optimist is sometimes things aren't as bad as they look like in some ways they're worse. You know, like the whole like windows for submarines and the ease with which some of these systems yeah. may be breached. Um, yeah. But mm-hmm. but also it mentioned that, you know, at the time when when Khrushchev said that Russia, you know, that the Soviet Union at the time was the only country on Earth that could reduce the United States to radioactive dust. Uh, at the time, actually, that wasn't true at all. Right. And the Soviet Union did not possess intercontinental ballistic missiles capable of doing that so would be an example of something like that that like khrushchev's boasts that could be true now uh that's making us more scared than we actually need to be maybe just the boat that the boasts of of posturing that they would actually do that my hope is that despite threats of okay we're just going to nuke a country and take their oil or whatever that, that that's not something that would happen that uh yeah sure. and, and i you know i i don't know i guess one would just hope that sanity would prevail either yeah. whether even even under trump even with um the current leadership in in the Russian Federation that that this is a lot of bravado and that when it comes down to it we've reached a point in humanity when people actually aren't willing to you know murder millions of people by fire you know right like it's not really like how do you how do you recover on the world stage after doing something like that right um, there is no world stage. Yeah, right. Oh, gosh. We're already talking about mutually assured destruction. I'm so sorry. But um, no, but I mean, that was the, obviously the fear with the Cold War is, is all that. But even thinking about, say, Putin and Trump are teammates in this sort of campaign of terror and nuke a non-nuclear weapon state, you know, how the rest of the world responds. I mean, you know, I don't know. Anyway, I guess I'm just one would hope that some type of sanity would prevail. But you can't count on it, which is why we need to be investigating all of this. Anyway, that's what's worrying me. <laughs> yeah, it is frightening because, and not to get too far down this, and and I would just say that I actually am with you in, in how scared I am, and um, and I, I'm thankful to sort of be able to talk to you about it because this is, you know, an area of your expertise, but the idea of, of, of Trump and Putin teaming up to basically be like bullies in the world with mm-hmm. nuclear weapons is like, 
the the thing that scares me most about that, and there's many things that are sort of scary just about that idea, mm-hmm. is just how much it sort of fits with Trump's personality. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he's a comic yeah, book just villain. Yeah, around and he's a comic book yeah. villain, and he's That's a what he's they do. a bully. They take over the world, literally. <laughs> And he's a con- he's a like yeah. he's like a cla- he's like a he's a textbook bully like that is what yeah. he does and he likes the idea of going around and telling people what to do and saying you're fired and whatever and like right. it's just uh, but then also just the thinness of his skin too you know somebody somebody decides to mouth back to him and and who knows what happens right. next so it is scary there's no way around that how scary that is. Because yeah. it is scary, Jesse. Do you have something? Because because I agree that I, I would I I'm on board with Summer. Do you? Do you, you call do me Sam Z's on my concern. Yeah. Do you have exactly? Do you have something different? Oh, that I'm concerned about this week. Yeah, I mean, that's like I particularly mean, concerning. That is definitely particularly concerning. I think I think this has been a week of kind of stressing about nuclear weapons and global mutual destruction. Yay. But but. <laughs> Um, we really should have done I'll, the hopeful stuff second. Anyway, we'll do more we should have, we should have. the end. Don't worry. We'll oh, get, good. We'll okay. That, yeah. But but I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna change tacks a little bit. Uh, just something that I haven't liked that I've been seeing this okay. week um, is that a lot of people on our side, on the side of you know never Trump and who see quite how bad this is, I've noticed have started to give up on the idea that there's any way to have a conversation with people who do not agree oh, with no. us. Um, you know, uh, I'm not going to name any names, but just prominent Twitter feeds where it's like, well, especially after those polls that came out last week, that so many Republican voters still believed that the stuff that went into Pizzagate were real and that and that there was Satanism yeah. in the, that was revealed, you know, in coded language in Hillary's emails. The point is that I saw a lot, a lot of people reactively right. giving up then and being like, well, you know what? That's it. That's it. There's just no way that we're going to be able to reach reach the other side uh they are we're, we're done we're just gonna have to find the strength within ourselves and i just i'm not ready to do that no because it's a bad idea we've gotten into this before in conversations and i think even on the podcast already how frustrating it is to talk to someone who's in direct opposition to you especially because of prejudice or something but i'm really against the splitting of the country between red and blue because it's not even an accurate way to look at people that are opposing Mm-mm. trump and no I get yeah. that it's hard and you don't have to have a conversation with everyone. Although I did like become friends on Twitter with someone who was literally trolling me about Pizzagate. <laughs> this guy who had like, you know, two followers and now I don't ever, I mostly try yeah. not to talk to trolls. Although I do get sucked into it sometimes because yeah. I'm only human, whatever. Yeah, it's, it's natural. But like this yeah. guy, you know, he was somebody, yeah. but he said something about spirit cooking. I don't, don't look it up. I don't even know. Oh, but then I just, God. I just yeah. was like, what? Yeah. I said, what is that? And I kind of joked about it. I made a joke about flambe because I was like cooking with spirits. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. But it's funny. And, um, and then we kind of had a little bit of an exchange. And his name's Larry. Hi, Larry. Anyway, <laughs> hey, Larry, how's it going? And, you know, Larry and I disagree on a lot, but we found a way to be yeah. like you know, kind of respectful of each other on, on Twitter. So he's like right. my, my only troll that I have become friends with. But anyway, like even... Yeah. Yeah, and I don't troll. actually rec- I don't actually recommend people engaging with um, people who are trolling them on the internet. It usually only leads to somewhere bad. I understand the urge to, especially when Breitbart is putting out a lot of stuff that's just not true, right? And so it can be very frustrating to think, "Wow, how could we ever get through to people who are who are believing them over the Washington right. Post?" Uh, but I just it's it's still I I believe that it's still something that we need to try to do. I think the answer to this often is to get off the damn internet. Yeah. 
Um, well, in terms of our conversations, because it's like, okay, yes, like Larry, the former internet troll, and I yeah. have, you know, now we're friends. But like, in, in general, it is hard to have conversations in person. But, you know, anyone that's ever had a fight with their significant other over text messages know, like, yeah. how hard it is to truly communicate in a digital yeah. medium, even with people it's, that you know. And so if you have strangers that you're starting out already in opposition, it's it's... I don't think it's most of the time that I don't think it's a fruitful venue to actually have conversations. So what people need to do if you're going to talk to someone who has different political views than you is meet in real life. Like the rabbi at the synagogue in my neighborhood, um, she had mentioned, I'd love to get on the podcast. And um, she said she's interested. So hopefully we'll have her. Come on. We'll have um, you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, she's amazing. And she was talking about... Um, wanting to meet with church congregations where the congregation had voted for Trump. It's amazing. So that there could be communication. And that to me sounds like an avenue for real communication. Did you guys hear about that that, uh, composer? I think it's Michael Friedman who was going around writing songs about the election. No. Oh, he's great. And he talked to a lot of Trump supporters and Clinton and Bernie supporters. And then he would turn their interviews verbatim into songs. Oh, that's amazing. That sounds like something I would do. Exactly. Yeah, it's totally up your alley on and like you should check it out. That's incredible. Michael Friedman is his name? I believe it's Michael Friedman. Will correct Uh, me if I'm wrong at the end. Um, I'm going to look him up. But it was great. And and this one song, we'll link to it, that was from an interview with a Trump supporter. And it was really really moving. Um, And I think... I don't know. There's more. There's more there. There, I guess. It is Michael Friedman. I'm. I'm yeah. gonna totally. Uh, this is amazing. I'm gonna totally. <laughs> I'm gonna totally look at this. This is so great. Let's move into the interview. Yes. If we can. Let's. Speaking of worrying uh, things. <laughs> speaking of very worrying so the, things. So we we um we're very lucky to have a, a professor at Brooklyn College come on and 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 chat with us. I sort of found him when I was looking for information about the Muslim registry. So uh, just here's Samir Chopra's bio really quick. Um, He is a professor of philosophy at Brooklyn College. His academic interests include pragmatism, philosophy of law, and the politics and ethics of technology, which I thought was interesting, especially in relation to the registry. Um, He is the author and co-author of six books and has written for The Nation, The Los Angeles Review of Books, uh, Jacobin Magazine, and others. Woo! Yeah, um, so I was glad that we were able to talk to him and shall we segue to our interview let's do it here's <laughs> professor Chopra. here's his interview uh, thank you so much for joining us on the 451 thank you very much glad to be here we were just discussing the blog post that you wrote about a serious approach to a Muslim registry. I came across that I think just randomly searching for, I think I may have Googled like Muslim registry serious approach (laughs) 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 because I was frustrated with with people's response to it. So I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what you wrote and the impetus for writing it. Once this suggestion had been made by Donald Trump and a couple of his public pronouncements and I think backed up by some of his spokespersons that a something like a registration program was on and b that in their various public defenses of it this bizarre precedent of the internment of japanese americans during the second world war had been explicitly brought up and in response to that there seemed to be this discussion going on that well then what what Mm -hmm. we should do as allies or as liberal or progressive supporters of our muslim brothers and our muslim american friends is to go and register with them And, you know, we would all symbolically put our names down as Muslims. And I thought, A, well, 
it's not clear to me what this would do other than just making the queues slightly longer at the registration centers. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I could already see the way in which folks were chiming in on some of these social media discussions. There was, you know, bizarrely enough, and I hesitate to even say this, but it sounded like there were going to be these standing in line registration parties. I don't know, people would bring, huh. you know, people would be hanging out and chatting in line and, oh yeah, you know, I, I went to register today. And I was like, well, what is this going to do? This is, so the impetus was to say that if this program was really as problematic as it was being made out to be, then the idea was not to sort of just go along with it, but to actually resist it at every step of the way. Right. And it seemed like the concern was, or part of the concern might have been that if um, non-Muslim Americans were registering, that they might get the impression that, well, I've done something and that's enough. And so I'm yes, going to like, yes, bow. Yeah. So, the, so right off the bat, I thought the, I thought the most important step was to say, A, no registry um, by elements of the population you know, against whom this program is directed and that allies should go and register instead. What I raised in the post was a possibility with that, with that that people would actually need to be, you know, made to register. And in that case, there would have to be this, I don't know how else to put it, this actual acts of resistance to it, which would be perhaps uh, acts of direct action and civil disobedience, you know, things like blocking access to folks' homes, resisting people actually being taken to register. And at this point, we're talking about acts of resistance that are going to need commitments from people to, you know, endure discomfort, put themselves in the line. But I think that's the only way to indicate the seriousness of what's being proposed. You know, I think it brings me back to, I think, what is the central issue out here? There's a certain kind of language that is being used in describing the Trump administration and the nature of the opposition that it seems to require. This thing is exceptional, but the things we do to make our opposition known to it or resist it can just go on being ordinary. Kind of what I was trying to do in the post was like, well, like, if people are really against this Muslim registry and we really think it's a serious violation of civil liberties, then I think we should go all the way to the extent of making our protest more than just something symbolic and actually putting our bodies on the line and being willing to go to jail. Yeah, I thought one thing that was really interesting was th this idea, and it seems sort of obvious, but, but you point out the time to really um, start this process is not once the thing is enacted and we're all just yes. registering after it's enacted. It's more like yes. we need to be we need to be out in the streets and disrupting business as usual as soon as as soon as it's pro even pro like properly proposed and maybe even before that. Yes, yes. Some of the discussions surrounding you know that that initial mooting of the registry was useful because i think right off the bat are we just looking at the nsears program you know which got around the problem of religious discrimination by directing it at a certain set of you know i think about 24 countries you know which were all muslim countries so they right. got this sort of de facto discrimination without having the official uh, you know, discrimination on religious grounds. But at least, you know, that cover is blown and we know that that's one possible way in which they can go. Right. And then, and then the, and then the nature of the coercion or for example, the way in which people are selected, I think those would further define the program and they would further make it clear as to how that program is to be, is to be resisted. I mean, in my post, you know, I kind of went the, the full hog and imagined a situation in which, you know, a, some kind of compliant bureaucracy and some kind of weak need opposition had allowed this kind of this bizarre 
you know, kind of round them up and bring them in kind of program to be launched. Right. And um, the slippery, the slippery was, slope that you talk about. It's like it's like if we if we if we give even an inch, if we give even a tiny little bit on one thing, it's like it's very easy to see this scenario where it where we get into very, very, very dangerous territory. Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, you know, we're, we're just realizing now, especially, you know, as we watch this, you know, this administration pass through this transition period that so much of what we, you know, so much of what we think is proper and correct to do is not something that is protected by explicit legal regulation or rules, but is largely a matter of norms and customs and, you know, things that people have taken for accepted. So I think where there are legal lines that are available for protection, I think, you know, we should use them as and when, you know, they present themselves to us, you know, much like we can expect the, you know, the latitude within those rules to be, you know, taken advantage of by this administration. Sometimes right. the administration might be in this place of being able to do something that's legally allowed. And then we have to, you know, I think that's what I was getting at in the post that sometimes we'll have to do illegal things, right? You know, which is, um, uh, right. And, and like you said, God forbid some some property gets damaged or, or something. But but yes, oh, yeah. And I want to make that you know, and and, and I just want to say something. Whenever there is violence at a at a demonstration or at an act of resistance, it is almost invariably the case that it is happening because there are police present. Right. And oh yeah, absolutely. Is, I mean, I think people need to be clear about this they don't make violence less likely they make violence more likely we've always had this at the university whenever university administration have talked about um, having police around student demonstration we've said no no please for the safety of our students and I think that's why I said if something like that happens please do not be so fastidious and <laughs> right. all of a sudden throw up your hands and say oh my god that's it protesting is over because there have been these acts of violence <laughs> Which are yeah. you know a result uh, of the police being there. I mean, well, we can we can only hope that that with the craziness basically coming from the Trump administration, we need these these big responses, and hopefully people can realize, like you're saying, that these big responses are the only thing that makes sense to counter you know to counter Trump with. I had a question, yes. which was. Um, if you have looked at, say, for example, the recent pipeline protests yes. or other protests and thought, okay, that's a model that we can apply, you know, if the time comes where we need to protect members of the community right. from unconstitutional practices that are happening. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I think, you know, what's really interesting about the pipeline protests was that right from the very beginning, there was a very clear and unambiguous and I think unapologetic moral message at the heart of the protests, which I think I think good political protests need to do upfront and get mm. clear about the folks that are at the center of the protests and and defending their homelands. I think they were able to come together just because those principles were so clearly articulated. Uh, I think it led to a lot of the passion and, and spirit of the protests. And I think nothing succeeds like success. And I think, you know, the fact that the protests endured, they drew more to them. I think they captured the imagination also, I think, because of the starkness of the issue at play. And when these moments or when these sites of protest start to come about, as I think, you know, maybe, you know, resisting something like the Muslim registry comes about, I think the language that surrounds it should have this kind of resonant, fundamental quality to it, one that attracts people to it because they see at play in it not something which is a kind of narrowly focused issue only of interest to a minority, but in fact, the latest instance of a far more fundamental model issue finding expression in this particular space. I actually had a question. Uh, 
Do you think that mass mobilization of people in opposition to a registry or, God forbid, actual camps mm-hmm. would be significantly hampered if there were some sort of if it, if it was seen as a response to something that had happened in the world or in the country? Because uh, there's a lot of talk about that, that this, this is not just going to just be rolled out just naturally, that it would actually have to be kind of reactive to something, to some world event, to some attack. What I'm more worried about is a kind of a combination of the two fears being expressed out there that what we will get is this kind of steady drip, drip, drip of various tweaks to, you know, the legal apparatus surrounding these things like, you know, search and seizure and arrests and... You know, if you look at steps like, you know, like I think we just had in, was it in Missouri the other day, where they've criminalized school fights. Oh, my and, God, yeah. Um, turned mm. some of them into right. uh, felonies or, or you know. So I, I think what I'm kind of worried about is that there's this strange sort of low-level, state-level criminalization and search and seizure kind of possibility, which could be directed you know, at like local populations away from, you know, away from federal supervision, just because states can do it. And they could, you know, they could be working in sync with federal authorities, but implementing local regimes of control and, you know, doing those through state laws. And so I think that's also something that folks have to pay very close attention to, because we might be thinking about this very top-down kind of announcement made by the federal government of some kind of national crackdown on, you know, minorities, but you could be having far more discrete, low-level sorts of discrimination in play at the state level. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that comes down to organizing. And like one thing that we've been really encouraging people to do is that I think there are a lot of sort of local organizations in in every state and every county everywhere yes. they're they're already on the front lines of fighting these things and so if there's something that you strongly believe in just find that organization and get involved and they're the ones and yeah. I, and the one thing about this election is it's activated it has activated so many new people who who wouldn't normally think of doing something like that so it just seems like now's the time yes yes and and, and I think it would and I think those folks who, you know, local level who are looking to get involved in something, but who are not clear about whether the work they're doing locally has, you know, any bearing on the larger picture. I think what's good about this current climate is a kind of a reassurance, which I think can be made across folks who are engaged in acts of activism or, you know, organizing and uh, resisting is that these acts of local resistance do tie up into each other, into into a much larger picture which is which is not complacent about the about the about the nature of the challenge at hand with this new administration, you know, which is displaying through these acts of local resistance a certain kind of vigilance. Uh, just to you know maybe loop this all the way back to the consideration that got this conversation started. Yeah, I think what I would expect to see is attacks on civil liberties being distributed at various precincts at the state level, at the city level, and I think those things serving as precedents for other local folks to, to roll them in. I think the North Carolina example shows with the bills passed to limit the power of the incoming administration, this is what you are up against. So the various niceties that people might sort of employ to as it were, call for certain kinds of reserve in the political actions that one might consider. I think, I think we've been given a very good reason to put them aside mm-hmm. and to and to take the gloves off. We have to, and to you know push the envelope of political action and resistance to this to this administration because it asks for nothing less. I think. 
Absolutely. Yeah. It'll take more than hashtags and surveys, it sounds like, to, or petitions. Yes, petitions, yeah. Yeah. More than... yeah. Well, Samir, thank you so much for joining us um, on the 451. Thank you. This was great. Yeah, yeah, great to chat, and maybe we can check in with you again down the road. Yeah, that was great. I thought that was a really good interview. He's so, I love his passion, and uh, I feel like he had a lot of really good things to say about both the registry and and um, just about resisting mm-hmm. Trump in, in general. Yeah, and I, the idea that people you know, will have to get out of their comfort zones to, to resist this in earnest, it's not something that you can just kind of do from your from your desk. Yeah, putting your bo- putting your bodies on the line, you know, like putting... That's important for the Muslim registry and I think big picture for the next... Yeah, uh, and I think this also ahead. goes too to like this thing we were talking about before is like people have different roles, right? Like... Like like resisting the Muslim registry is gonna be is gonna be a big one, you know, mm-hmm. and and yeah, the, that's the thing. There's some there are some issues that come up that may require more of an all hands on deck approach than others. Yes, and that's definitely one of them. Yeah, so I hope it doesn't. I mean, I hope it doesn't come to that. Yeah. Um, I I fear that it will, just especially because of General Flynn, who even looks like the crazy general from Doctor Strangelove. Indeed. um so yeah but do you guys want to go through maybe say some some concrete things just uh maybe to end out here like some concrete things that folks can do some ideas um i know jesse you had one with the house of cards guy right (laughs) yeah that's right (laughs) (laughs) no but that was really good i looked it up that's that's really cool what what is that thing uh well he's he's just creating the tools so that you can create your own little group uh, in your in your neighborhood, and you were saying you're you're partnering up with your own. Yeah, friends, yeah. Right? I well, Michael Moore put out a, a list of things to do, and one of them was like just find, you know, five or six, seven friends that 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 are on board with how effed everything is, and um, just form your own little action group, and you can even give yourselves a name. Um, and then, right. and then you were saying that that the that this guy had sort of made a tool where you could find people in your community, even if you don't. If you, even if you don't know them. Yes, exactly. Uh, which is cool, which I think is just really great to bring people. It's a really great way to bring mm-hmm. people together. Yeah. And it, and at this point, I feel like these, these small groups are kind of figuring out what they want to do. And it may be about whatever the shared passions are. Like the action group uh, plan that his name is Bo Willimon, mm-hmm. the creator of House mm-hmm. of Cards. His idea, it's kind of been broken down into different issues. So if, uh, for instance, uh, women's reproductive health is your number one, then there is a specific group in New York City that you can join up. And that's kind of what right. the, you'll be focusing on. That's great. On and that's great. Be t- uh, and the one that the one that I joined uh, was about Islamophobia. And so far, there's been a lot of flyering, uh, kind of just making people aware uh, on New Year's Eve. Okay. They're actually going to be going. I'm not, I'm not, but um, I will join soon. At one of these, <laughs> uh, I, did, I did another one of these efforts, but not the one on New Year's Eve. Uh, they're going to go to Times Square and just hand out a bunch of flyers, uh, kind of making people aware of what's going on. Yeah, that's great. I love that. So we'll put a link in the show notes about how you can join up or create a group of your own. Summer, do you have do, have you come across any like of these concrete sort of actions that that you want to shout out or? Yeah, I mean, a lot of my focus has been on what's happening in government. And so, you know, when we had um, Congressman Swalwell on last week and he was encouraging people to get on the phones and get on social media with their own representatives and try to encourage them to support his bill. And there's sort of a slew of, of, of different measures that are coming out. There's, we have, you know, Elizabeth Warren's that was going to be announced next month and, and other, other efforts. And so I think 
I, I that's something I want to focus on is seeing how I can support um, efforts by our elected officials uh, to curb the bad Trump stuff. Yeah, that's one thing. And also, I think another important issue is for people that are immersing themselves in all of this to remember to take breaks breaks from it and it's this is something that people like to kind of target as something silly a lot but i think you know the idea of taking care of yourself yeah is important and this is exhausting stuff and and part of it the intentional onslaught of um fascism is to stupefy right and it creates stupidity in people and it also just create stupor and it exhausts you and so if people are feeling you know mentally and emotionally exhausted by all of this that's by design for sure i had one other thing that i wanted to 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 shout out and it was um in in line with sort of what you were saying somewhere about reaching out to congress there's been a lot of talk about about these town halls you know and how town halls were a favorite tool of the tea party to put, to gum up the works with obamacare um mm-hmm. back in the day and how important it is for us to sort of take that take a page out of that playbook and um, not necessarily gum up the works, although if that's what's necessary, I think that would be a fine thing to do, but also just make our, our voices heard. To me, and, and maybe we'll get more into this when we get some congressional staffer people on to, to, talk, to talk to us about what's most effective, but to me, it seems like, you know, in the, in the hierarchy of things, it's like petitions, tweets, emails, phone calls, and then actually like showing up in person, I think is probably the, right. the, the most. The most. So um, there's a, a thing where you can just type in your zip code and they will let you know when there's going to be a town hall with your representatives in your area. And we'll put the link in the show notes for that. It's risewhenwefall.org hash, uh, slash hashtag pledge. It's a terrible, it's a don't it's a terrible. It. Just, um, just, just come to our website. Go to our website. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of our website and uh, things like that, what what uh, where should people go to read our show notes, Summer? They can go to uh, the451.com, all written out. It looks very nice. There. I thought of another hopeful thing I wanted to add. Oh, what's a hopeful well, thing? Well, like, oh, hopeful thing? What's that? Um, no, what, no what is I'm, this, was this this week? Did you guys see the article about how the Washington Post is adding yes, dozens yes. more journalists? Yeah, like three dozen, yes. I think. Something like that. 60. 60? Wow. Something like that. Yeah, and that's... Great. Um, and I'm happy about that. And it's just a reminder that, you know, I know a lot of people um, in the wake of Trump sort of attacking the press decided that they were going to subscribe to new publications or up the subscription to the publications they already yeah. were reading. And it does make it does make a difference when you support media. You can get better. Totally. Media. For sure. I would also add that uh, it's kind of there's there is a lot of pressure on us as readers and consumers of of news and journalism to be as critical thinking as we possibly can. Yeah. Uh, as we, you yes. know, that's always been the case, but now it could not be more crucial. Yes. You have to fight the, the fatigue of, yeah, it's not easy. <laughs> Bull, bullshit fatigue. Do we have to bleep that word? Yeah, I'll can bleep it. No, podcast? you can say it. I'll bleep it. You'll bleep yeah, it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it just keeps saying yeah, it over and over. Um, yeah. Bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. bullshit fatigue. Bullshit fatigue. Sorry for the bleeping. Um, no, I said it's it's the trench foot of 2016. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I like my analogy because it has to do with like too much immersion in unsavory stuff. So um yeah so uh where are we we are we are ending so support, this podcast we're ending this so support your press yes. reach out to your people mm-hmm. uh, your community find community look for your leaders your groups that are already doing stuff. 
what take else? care of yourself. <laughs> take care yeah, of yourself. Yeah, take care of yourself. Turn Please, off people. the internet. Yeah, Turn take a off. bath. Go to some hot springs. Mm-hmm. Do what you got to do. <laughs> yeah. Eat a snack. Eat a snack. Delicious. Cook yeah. a meal. Drink some tea. <laughs> um, Somebody was saying they were reading a poem every night before bed. I've been drinking a lot of hot chocolate lately. I've been getting really into hot chocolate. So. Is that so? That's really good. Yeah, making making my own hot chocolate. Uh-huh. So um, you can follow the show on Twitter at the underscore 451. The numbers 451. The numbers 451. If you're going to tell your friends about us, and please do, uh, we've had a little bit of confusion about finding us on iTunes and other Sorry. platforms. You have to spell it out <laughs> to the 451, all spelled out. Um, hopefully, eventually, you'll be able to search. I, I looked into it. It's it's a complicated thing that I don't know how to fix. Um, we are scrappy, and we're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I know spelling out the 451 is a lot of letters, so just don't get tired before the end because it's worth it. Do it. Persevere. You can do it. You can email us, uh, like Summer said, at 451 at protonmail.com. Uh, you can leave us a voicemail and let us know uh, what you're hopeful about and what you are doing um, to resist and, and how you're organizing. And at 510-402-6081, that number again, 510-402-6081. You can, yeah, follow, you can oh. follow me on Twitter at Man. That's songaday, one word, M-A-N-N, all one word. Um, Summer, where's, how do you, what's your Twitter? Um, I'm at Summer Brennan, and you'll usually find me to saying I'm about to take a Twitter break and then not taking one. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I do. Not following your own and advice. And then being like, wait, one more thing, and then, yeah. And Jesse? And I'm Jesse with an underscore, Hirsch, H-I-R-S-C-H. Yes, and yes. do call us. Um, I love those voicemails. Yeah, they, the voicemails are really nice. Yeah, we, we like that a lot. We, we get help from that for sure. Yeah. We'll be playing another voicemail at the end of this episode, so um, stay tuned for that. And Summer, you want to you wanna take us home? Please take us home, Summer. Oh, I don't know. I'm going to be cheesy, and I'm really grateful for you guys for doing this with me because it's really yeah. been a lifesaver in the last yeah. couple weeks. And same. So same, same. Thank you. And, um, yep, here we go. Here we go. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. everyone who has tuned in to our podcast over the past few weeks. Since we launched on December 19th, we have had over 40,000 listeners from all over the world uh, tune in for our first two episodes, and we are very grateful for your support and patience (laughs) as we figure everything out getting started. Uh, So thank you for that. Um, As we said before, you can learn more about the topics we discussed in this episode and in others by going to the451.com. That's the 451, all written out, .com, and there you'll also find our phone number and our email address. Uh, We do love hearing from you, so uh, please reach out and tell us the ways in which you are resisting. We've got uh, some exciting guests coming up in the next few weeks, so we hope you will stay tuned. Um, Thank you again, and Happy New Year. This has been The 451, a podcast for the resistance. Hi, my name is Mandy, and I'm calling from Omaha, Nebraska. Um, One thing I'm doing to support the resistance is hosting an event at my house on New Year's Day that I'm calling New Year's Revolution. 
We are having community organizers from local organizations that work in areas like immigration, healthcare, and voting rights come talk about how to get involved. And we'll also have a life coach who has experience with activism who's going to be helping people make their own activism plans for the year. Planning this is giving me a lot of hope because it's helping me feel less alone and it's helping me find connections with resistors in my community. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.